Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. I am here today with Dr. Katie Nall. That's Nall rhymes with wall. I'm saying it a little funny right now, but she says I can call her Katie. I'm going to call her Dr. Katie if that's okay with her. And she has a really incredible story. So she's not only been a caregiver, but a provider as well. So we're going to get into it. Dr. Katie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Andrew, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for what you're doing with this podcast and sharing this good news. So let's go back to where your story began, and it actually started with your husband. Is that correct? You're right. Um, it was about eight years ago. My um, our, One of our sons is a chiropractor, and as he was evaluating our blood tests, he said to his dad, my husband, uh, Dad, there's something funny going on with your bladder. Now, my son is a more natural kind of um, provider. And he said, try these supplements and change your diet. Um, my husband thought that was interesting and ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if he did it at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> His mother was a registered nurse. So he's a big believer in traditional Western medicine, which is fine. That's great. Um, and about a year and a half later, he started seeing symptoms. He went to the urologist. The urologist immediately uh, suggested that he go see uh, an oncologist, which raised my husband's eyebrow a bit. And um, and yes, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. What kind of symptoms was he having that he finally decided to do something? Yeah, he had blood in his urine. He did. Mm -hmm. Any pain? Um, no, not really. Not really a lot of pain, but it was the blood in the urine. And he knew enough that when he saw the blood in the urine, he immediately reached out to his urologist, who has been a family friend for years, and, um, and you know, received the diagnosis. Now, at that point, um, I believe they call it T1, T2, T3, and T4, and he was at a T2. And it had not, it had just started to breach his bladder wall. He had some options, and as he reviewed the options, uh, my husband's choice was to proceed with chemotherapy and following the chemotherapy to go, undergo surgery. And the chemotherapy consisted of, I believe, about 10 weeks. He went in uh, once a week uh, for his therapy. I went with him every time, and uh, the whole time I went with him, I was practicing more of my alternative <laughs> solutions. I'm a master trainer in emotional freedom techniques. So the entire time that he was doing his drip, his chemotherapy drip, I was, it's called tapping. I was tapping on him. I was singing songs uh, <laughs> about his healthy cells. And I was, um, using lavender oil and all of these other things while he was going through his chemotherapy. What was interesting, Andrea, is that my husband's a practicing attorney 
And at that time, he had a very large divorce case that he had to go to court for. And he, he maintained his practice throughout this whole, this whole time. As um, they were trying to schedule his surgery, and he had a big trial date, so they put it off for a couple of months. When they finally did go to surgery, um, it was, you know, invasive. They pulled out his bladder and his prostate and I guess a whole bunch of other things that they could grab. <laughs> and, um, and then he was hospitalized for about 10 days at Moffitt uh, Cancer Center. Wait, did he Tampa. lose his bladder and prostate completely? Mm-hmm. He did. Okay. So yeah. What? Now, and that was interesting too, Andrea, because they said the chemotherapy got everything. My question to them is if the chemotherapy got everything, why are we proceeding with the surgery? Did you ask that question at the time? Um, the answer that they gave is it's a preventative measure. They felt that since the cancer had, um, started in the bladder that eliminating the bladder would eliminate the cancer. So um, again, that was my husband's choice. He felt very comfortable with it. Um, As he brags, his surgeon gave him one of the nicest looking stomas, (laughs) which is (laughs) on his stomach. Um, So for people who don't know, uh, I know we have one other episode. I'll have to look up the number and link it where a woman talks about her stoma. So Explain that for people who don't know what that means. So a stoma is an opening in the lower abdomen where his urine comes from. And it's, it's, um, it's, they, they cut out a piece of his intestine to redirect because there's no bladder. Yeah. So he now has a out, outside bag. And the, so the stoma, and apparently the way that the, the uh, surgeon did it, it became, it was very nice, round, even stoma. And I guess they don't all come out that way. (laughs) Is this an ostomy? Is that what it's called? Uh Ostomy, right. right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to dive into something you said about you and your husband and how much you differed in choices that he would make. Because I'm hearing you say you sounded very, correct me if I'm wrong, skeptical of the surgery and why it was even needed, but that was your husband's choice and he was comfortable. Same thing with the chemotherapy he had prior to the surgery. And yet while he's getting that chemotherapy, you're using all the tools in your toolbox. What did he think about you tapping on him and using those oils and singing to his cells? What did he think about all of that? I mean, clearly he let you do it, but what did he actually think about it? Oh, he's one of those people who loves to have the attention post. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love it. I love it. That that difference actually started when our son gave a pre-diagnosis. And I was the one who encouraged the change in diet. I was the one who encouraged the supplements. And I also said to my husband, this is your life and this is your body. And whatever choice you make, I will support you 100%. But let me present you with these options. And when he got the medical diagnosis confirming bladder cancer based on the symptoms, I did a lot of research and found two uh, holistic um, oncologists. Now, that is a non-trivial search 
because they do not advertise. Yeah. They do not have websites. The only way you find them is through referrals, and it's a very strongly vetted referral. They're they're very cautious about their practice. Sure. Um, and I was ready to make appointments for him in different parts of the country and to fly him out there. They all said that once he starts chemotherapy, they cannot accept him as a patient because the chemotherapy, there's not much they can do once chemotherapy started. So once he started chemotherapy, I just said, I'm here to support you. That's, that was my job. So he had the surgery. He was hospitalized for 10 days. I slept in the room with him uh, for all but two nights. God bless his sister who came from Alabama and (laughs) came down to Tampa and stayed with him a couple of nights where I could go back to the hotel and sleep. Now, when the nurses were there and taking care of him, I would go back to the hotel, which had a kitchenette. And of course, I made him liver rescue broth. and other healthy kinds of things and would bring that back for him to eat when he felt like he could eat. Um, So I was supplementing um, the hospital food. I bought a a lavender plant and brought the lavender plant into the room. I had a, (laughs) I had a um, uh, atomizer going with lavender oil going. I had all those things going now, Andrea, I don't have a healthcare background, so there were so many things that I missed and were not aware like of. Like what? I did not understand that when you're laying in the bed and aren't being moved, that you could get bed sores. Yeah. I think that because the nurses saw me in the room every time they came in, they thought I would be doing things. And when I would leave the room, I would assume that they did things like brush his teeth and shave him and things. And I found out later they really didn't. Um, when we got him home, he had multiple bed sores on his back, oh. uh, some some that were open. Um, but I whipped out my cotton balls and my lavender oil and wiped them all down. And in two days, they had healed. Um, so I think he benefited from a combination of Western and uh, non-traditional attention. Did he not say anything about the bed sores? I mean, that sounds incredibly painful. Uh, Well, he was pretty drugged up. (laughs) He doesn't remember much except, you know, going into surgery. And then after that, in fact, he said just the other day, he's like, I don't remember anything. I'm like, yeah, it's probably a good idea. <laughs> so he doesn't remember those 10 days post-surgery? Very little. Really? Very little. Wow. Yeah. yeah, very little. Yeah. I, I took pictures of him when he, because um, of course they want to get him up and get him walking at some point. So they had him walking with a walker and his IV back drip. You know, and so I took a couple pictures of them and every now and then I'll show them. And I took pictures of the bed sores because I didn't know what to do with them and um, until I figured it out. But um, now the part that's really interesting is that um, after the surgery, they asked to see him every three months to check on what they called tumor markers. Right. And uh, what they alluded to was that the, the markers were going to rise for a couple of visits and then they were going to plateau off and they would be an indicator if the cancer had grown. 
Well, we went back after three months, and just as they had predicted, they rose. The tumor markers rose. Another three months, and they rose. But Andrea, we kept going back every three months, and they kept rising until we went back probably two years later, and they stopped rising. They didn't plateau. Instead, they dropped to way below what they were even pre-diagnosis. I wanted to find out what the heck was going on. Um, the doctor checked off and said, okay, you're good. We'll see you in six months now instead of three months. And I'm like, but, 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 but wait a minute, what, what happened here? It wasn't until I got my husband into the car, I turned to him and I said, okay, sport, what's going on? <laughs> and he kind of hung his head a bit and mumbled something about, well, I've been listening to what you're saying. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I, I gave up eggs, which was something I had been telling him to do for quite some time. Um, eggs uh, feed viruses. Cancer is a virus and giving up eggs. And he has now given up eggs and all dairy. Um, he still has meat from time to time. Um, and he's watching his fats. So he is doing much better. Now, what's interesting, Andrea, is when he first got the diagnosis and even before we started chemotherapy and again at the surgery, I asked a number of questions. I said, are there any foods that we need to be careful of or um, we need to increase? No, no, no. Just have whatever you want, they said. I asked uh, what exercises should he be doing to prepare for surgery or what, is there anything else we can do? No, 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 that's fine. Just let us take care of it. Said, okay. One of the more interesting <laughs> visits we had was we had met with the nurse at, at uh, Moffitt Central and uh, Cancer Center. And as we were sitting in this small room, I'm just looking around because you know, there's all these cool posters and things like that. And I turn around and directly behind where my husband and I were sitting, there was a chart and the chart, the, the name of the chart was, where is your stress level? And it had like a thermometer from zero to 10. And I was like, oh, this is really good because as a provider, that's what I do is I show people how to eliminate stress. And I thought, this is going to be great. So the nurse practitioner came in, asked the questions that they were supposed to ask. And at the end, she said, oh, do you have any questions for me? And I said, yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me, me, the wife over here. <laughs> and I turned around and I said, what about this chart on the wall? And she said, oh, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It was, oh. I'm supposed to ask you if you have any stress. And my husband said, you're kidding me, right? I've been diagnosed and I'm being treated for cancer. Yes, I have stress. And she said, well, what level is it from zero to 10? And he said, it's an 11. <laughs> and she again replied with, oh, now I have to call a social worker in. We apparently had inconvenienced her by admitting that we had stress. And she said, just stay right here. So we're like, this is gonna be great. He's gonna have somebody to talk to other than me, his wife, right. which, you know, that's a great idea. Um, and uh, eventually somebody got us and said, oh, come sit over here. So we went and sat at a place that like you might be making um, a, 
uh, an appointment. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting there with a guy with a calendar and we said, okay, we're going to meet the social worker. And he goes, oh, apparently that's the only response when you say social worker. (laughs) And they said, yeah, I said, he said, I'm not sure where she is. And I said, okay, we'll wait. We, We drove three hours over here. We will wait until, you know, whenever she comes. And um, so we saw him, we sat in front of him. He dialed four or five numbers, never connected with anyone, got up and left his chair three times, never came back with anyone. Finally, he said, I need you to wait in this room over here. Well, Andrea, he put us in a room that had three chairs. The three chairs, if people were sitting in all three chairs, our knees would be touching. That's how small a room it was. And we're like, okay, we'll sit here now. So we sat there for 20 minutes. Nobody ever came. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever did anything. And I know just from the research I've done on stress, especially with the work of Dr. Hans Sully, that stress is a major indicator of things like cancer. And for them not to be able to find or retrieve or hire more social workers I, I just felt like they were missing missing a really important part. So did you ever see a social worker? What happened? Never. Nothing. No. And we've been going there for over six years. Wow. So that leads me to another question because I heard you say it just now. So you live on the East Coast of Florida um, and you were going to Tampa, which is on the West Coast of Florida, and staying in a hotel every time he had treatment? Yes. Wow. Why did you go to Moffitt when, let's say, Jacksonville might have been a little closer? Why Why there? Uh, my husband was, when he went to school, he was a biology undergraduate. A good number of his peers went on to med school. One of them actually was an oncologist in Missouri. He consulted with a lot of his peers before he decided where to go, and they recommended Moffitt. Got it. Okay. All right. That makes, that makes sense. I just wanted to highlight that a little bit because I think this is one of the, the key points that um, the doctors, researchers, people who design clinical trials miss that, you know, if you are being seen at a center, that's not in your town, the cost that you incur every time. And, and again, to your point about stress, you know, driving back and forth, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, and, and then of course the surgery too, after surgery, what was the treatment plan, if any, or was it just kind of, you're all done now? Well, they had the three month checkup for two years. Um, he's, uh, on a one year checkup now. What does that mean? Um, checkup? Does it mean scans, um, blood work? So they do blood work, which, um, again, I've talked to him about this because I feel very strongly. I've told him to ask for them to draw a quarter of the um, tube of blood, because every time you draw blood, you are reducing your immune system. It takes your body three to six months for your bone marrow to replace that blood. And if you have somebody who's got cancer, why would you keep drawing blood? Anyway, um, they did blood draws. Uh, He does a CT scan. Um, They do a lung x-ray because apparently after bladder cancer, they found that most recent, most 
um, most commonly, it goes to the lungs. Got it. So um, they always do um, a lung scan, and then he meets with a um, nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant or someone along those lines. Okay. And what did you do after the traditional treatment was over? Your husband finally quit eggs, so he started changing his diet. What other things did you do with him? Well, um, I always offer when he's ready to talk with him, and he has taken advantage of that a few times. I've had friends give him Reiki treatments, <laughs> which he loved, um, and um, he's now journaling, which he's never, this summer we will be married 50 years, oh, and wow. he's never journaled in his life. Um, so he started journaling. So he's done He's doing a lot of things. One of the one of the coolest things about my husband's and it's probably one of the reasons why I've been attracted to him is he has this incredible ability to change. Um, when I met him, he was a smoker and um, he didn't really understand that women had the same rights as men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, and he has changed a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I bank on that change a lot, Andrea. <laughs> I was going to say, because most people don't change. Not really. Like they could change yeah. their minds or maybe points of view, but like their core soul right. does not really change. Um, so that's a, that's a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, how is your experience as the caregiver different? from your husband's as the patient? He wasn't aware of a lot of what was going on. And so I would tell him afterwards, and he's like, you did that? Um, so he, he wasn't aware. And he, I think when you get a cancer diagnosis, your head goes in just one direction. Yeah. It's almost like you have blindness. And um, so he pretty much let me do nearly everything I wanted to do. Uh, and I, I appreciated that. Um, his experience was, you know, he was really concerned and still believes to this day that had he not gone through the chemotherapy and the surgery that he would have died. Does it ever come up that your son, who's a chiropractor, identified that something was wrong a year and a half beforehand? Um, sometimes I try not to bring it up too often. <laughs> Does it, why? What is your husband's reaction when that comes up? Yeah. Um, he's pretty quiet about it. And, uh, yeah, he does. That's not something we, that's not a subject we broach frequently. Um, is... that's something that I scream about to my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> is this something you and your son talk about at all? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. As it turns out, when um, my husband was going through this, my son's father-in-law had been diagnosed with cancer as well. Oh, my God. Yes. And so my son and my daughter-in-law were kind of watching both their dads go through this. Um, and both of them had spaces of noncompliance. I think part of the hardest part about this, Andrea, is letting people see all the different options and then supporting them whichever path they take. Right. Yeah. That's the hardest part. 
did your son's father-in-law, I mean, obviously every experience is different, even if they had the same cancer, but did he do something perhaps that your husband didn't do? He did a lot of things differently. He went to Mexico for a month um, to help with diet um, and kind of immersive things. Um, unfortunately, um, he passed four years ago. He did. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. He was a, a real strong um, personality and a, a very giving and loving man. Um, so we were, we we're sad to lose him. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. What was the worst moment for you, Dr. Katie? Hmm. Truthfully, Andrea, uh, personally, for the worst moment for me was when I started seeing that my husband wasn't taking the supplements because I knew what was coming. Mm. The supplements that your son recommended. Mm -hmm. Really? Wow. What about your best moment? My best moment uh, today. I mean, you know, <laughs> I wake up this morning and he's there. So, um, so Aww. that's the best. I love it. Is there, is there anything you wish you had known at the beginning? I mean, you, you just indicated that you kind of sensed that a diagnosis was inevitable, but is there anything else you wish you had known? Not really. I think I was pretty, I, I think I was as informed as I could have been. Um, I felt like we had really, we, we were blessed, Andrea. I mean, my husband had friends who were oncologists. Right. Um, that helps. The, the difference is, and I told him this, I said, it's like you're asking a barber if you need a haircut. Of course, they're going to tell you. to go yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> such a good analogy. Right. Oh, they're going to so tell you if they know. Um, and yet I have all of these books and research and science to show that there are so many other ways to conquer viruses, which is yeah. what cancer is. Um, and yet again, it, it's like being a parent, Andrea, right? You watch your kids see these colossal mistakes. And as long as they don't hurt themselves or others, you have to let them make the mistakes so that they can learn because yeah. you can only impart so much knowledge. That's true. Um, yeah. So you have to love them anyway. <laughs> Dr. Katie, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I would em emphasize, overemphasize, just like pound it into people's minds that 80% of the reasons why we're going to see a medical provider is because of stress. And knowing how to recognize, manage, and eliminate stress can make you so much more healthy. Wow. I love that answer. Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? Oh, wait a minute. I, I, I didn't study yet. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good answer. Uh, <laughs> beach, desert, or mountains? Beach, desert, or mountains? Well, I have to say beach because I live up near the beach. So, yeah. Beach boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Oh, Beatles for me, Rolling Stones for my husband. <laughs> what is one word that best describes you? Energetic. 
And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Oh, all, all you need is love. <laughs> what about the last meal you want to eat? Oh, um, potatoes. I just love potatoes, sweet potatoes with maybe a little jam on it. <laughs> what about the last person or people you want to see? Oh, my kids and my grandkids. And the last words you will speak. This too shall pass. And aside Including me. <laughs> That's awesome. I always said, like, if I had a tombstone, even though I don't want one, but if I had one, like, I would want my epitaph to read, uh, here lies a survivor, because I think it's deeply ironic, but nobody... <laughs> Nobody thinks that's as funny as I think it is. I think it's really freaking funny, but, right? It's funny, right? So aside from cancer, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And tell people a little bit more how they can get in touch with you if they want to work with you. I would encourage them to search out different stress techniques that work for them. Um, there are a lot of options. There's breathing, there's walking, there's being in nature, there's all kinds of things, but find a way to relieve your stress. It's going to help uh, not only the cancer patient, but also the family of cancer members. And thank you, Andrew, for allowing me to um, let people know how they can contact me. I'm on all social media by my name, Katie Nall, PhD. It's K-A-T-I-E-N-A-L-L-P-H-D. They can find me on my website, which is my last name, Nall, N-A-L-L, followed by the word edge, E-D-G-E, followed by C-O.com. It's knowledgecompany.com. And they can also call me. I'd love to talk to your uh, listeners. I challenge them to give me a call. Seldom does anyone call me. <laughs> the number is the number is 772-226-0167. Would love to talk. Okay, we will make sure that's all in the show notes. Now, before we go, before I hit record, you did offer to do something with me. So I can't say it'll make it in the final cut because that's not really my choice. But <laughs> um, what was that offer? And do we still have time to do something? Andrea, for any of your listeners, whether they're a cancer patient, have a cancer diagnosis, or their family of cancer members, Knowing how to handle stress can make a big difference. Emotional freedom technique has been proven to be more effective than cognitive-based uh, therapy and just as effective as eye movement desensitization reprogramming, EMDR. So I'd love to give you a, a test, uh, just an example of what tapping is if you're game for it. Are you game? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to ask you in the last 24 to 48 hours, if you've had a small waffles, a small worry, anxiety, fear, frustration, lethargy, exhaustion, or stress. Now, here's what's interesting. You don't have to say what it was unless you want to. Uh, I'll just say you yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. So when you think about that small waffles, um, tell me where were you and what time of day was it when you had that experience? Um... Well, I would say this morning I woke up with a headache, which really frustrated me. And, um, and so that, yeah, that stresses me out because I can't okay. stand having a headache. It really, it really 
affects my enthusiasm and my day. Like as soon as this interview is over, the lights are going off, <laughs> you know, my office for a little while. Um, right. So yeah, the headache. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And thinking about waking up this morning with the headache, um, the emotion you mentioned, frustrated stress. Um, when you think about it right now in this moment, what negative emotion do you have? Actually worry. Worry. Okay. And from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes, where do you feel the worry in your body? I feel it in my head. In your head? Okay. And from zero to 10, where zero is like, ah, it's no big deal. It's going to pass. And 10 is the most worried you've felt in your entire life. What number would you give that intensity of worry? Probably like a five or six. A five or a six. Okay. And is this a true statement right here, right now? I feel safe. Um, yeah, I almost, I almost never feel safe. Okay. So, um, you can also, is this sound true right here, right now? I accept the way I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go with that one. Now for your listening audience, if you're driving, I'd encourage you not to do this right now, but <laughs> pause and come back to it when you have both hands free. But in the meantime, Andrea, if you can take one hand and put it in front of your face so that you're looking at the palm of your hand. Okay. Got it? Yep. Okay. And then on the side of your hand between your wrist and your little finger, I want you to use four fingers of the other hand and tap on the hand that's facing you. Got it? Yeah. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you to repeat um, versions of the same sentence three times. So if you could repeat after me and say, even though, even though this morning I woke with a headache, this morning I woke up with a headache. And when I think about it now, when I think about it now, I have this worry. I have this worry in my head, in my head. And I accept the way I feel. And I accept the way I feel. Even though, even though I still have worry in my head, I still have worry in my head. Thinking about that headache I had this morning, thinking about the headache I had this morning, right here, right now, I feel safe anyway, right here. And right now I feel safe anyway. Last time, even though, even though this morning I woke up this morning, I woke up with a headache, with a headache. And thinking about it now, and thinking about it now, I feel this worry in my head. I feel this worry in my head. Right here, right now, I accept the way I feel. Right here, right now, I accept the way I feel. And then on top of the head, you can use one hand or the other or both, it doesn't matter. Okay. And tap on the top of your head and say, This worry in my head. This worry in my head. And then Go along your nose up to the top of your nose on the edge of your eyebrow. And again, you can use one hand or the other or both and say this worry in my head, this worry in my head. And then on your temple between your eye and your hairline, again, one hand or the other or both, this worry in my head, this worry in my head. And the next spot, Andrea, is where I keep all my bags for a quick getaway. And that's under your eye, this <laughs> worry in my head. <laughs> Bad pun, bad pun, Dr. Katie. <laughs> this worry in my head. And then under the nose above the lip, this worry in my head. This worry in my head. Under the lip above the chin, this worry in my head. This worry in my head. 
cross your wrist and tap on your um, collarbone. This worry in my head. This worry in my head. And then on your ribs, you can use uh, one side or the other or both. This worry in my head. This worry in my head. Now the last piece, and this is my add-on, uh, put your hands on opposite shoulders and we're gonna rub from our shoulder to our elbow as we blow our air out like a cartoon character. It goes okay. like this. <laughs> I think I did that very well, but <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. So, Andrea, I want you to think back to this morning when you woke up with a headache, and when you think about it now, the worry in your head from zero to ten, what number is it? Uh, it's a little less, maybe a four or five. It's a little less. And you can keep doing that same round. It will go to zero. And what's interesting is that clinical studies show that the worry about the headache uh, in the morning, we will not return. Wow. Interesting. What is your PhD in, by the way? I'm sorry? What is uh, your my PhD? PhD is in math education. Oh, okay. All right. So interesting. Um, and how did you get into EFT? I was trying to help a room full of students. Uh, I was an administrator at the college and I had a room full of students who had one class left to finish. They were so terrified of even registering for a math class that they would break into tears. And so part of my dissertation research is I wanted to help these students overcome their fear and anxiety about math and test taking. Yeah. And, um, I found Nick Ortner's Tapping Summit. I watched all 10 days, bought the book, bought the DVD. Nowhere, Andrea, did it say that it helped with math or test taking. I had no idea if it was going to work or not. But I did have a room full of desperate students. And I don't know about you, but desperate clients are the best because they, they will work try. The hardest. Yeah, they'll try anything. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So we tried it and they started having great um, great responses. It took me four years working full time to earn my PhD in math education. It took me eight you. years. It took me eight years working full time to become a master trainer in emotional freedom technique. Wow, good for you! Yeah. So cool. <laughs> well, Dr. Katie, thank you for coming on and sharing your story and your husband's story. Thank you. I so appreciate what you're doing. I think it's very, very valuable for the population out there. Thank you, Andrea. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.